Welcome to the Respectful Divorce Podcast. If you're considering a divorce, it's important to know that you have options for how you divorce. On the Respectful Divorce Podcast, we explore those options and provide advice from divorce professionals. We also talk with divorce clients about what went right and what went wrong in their divorce. Let me introduce to our listeners, Carol Hughes, PhD from California, who has written a book called Home Will Never Be the Same Again, A Guide for Adult Children of Gray Divorce. She and her co-author, Bruce Friedenberg, have done some groundbreaking work with families and adult children of divorce, and we are so fortunate to have her share some of those insights with us today. Thank you for coming on, Carol. Thank you for inviting me, Camille. I'm really happy to be here. We have been friends a long time, and I have admired your work even before I knew you, but I'm I'm so happy to be able to share part of our morning with you. Can you tell everyone a little bit about your background and how you ended up in this work? Sure. Um, actually, I had never intended to work in the divorce arena, but, you know, sometimes the universe and God and all has a different plan. And um, <clears throat> so... Uh, When I was three and a half, my parents divorced, and I never knew them together, of course. And um, there was a bitter custody battle, I understand. And um, I ended up living with my dad and my grandmother uh, in North Florida. I was born in San Diego. And uh, a year or so later, my mom tracked my dad down, allegedly. This is the story. And so there was a custody battle in um, Jacksonville, Florida, where I grew up. And in those days, what they did with the children who had become, quote, wards of the court because of the custody uh, action, uh, we were taken to um, a part of Juvenile Hall, uh, (laughs) which was not a fun place, obviously. And uh, I can remember feeling completely abandoned. Uh, By then, I was about four and a half, maybe five. Um, actually, I think early four and a half, maybe five. Um, and I can remember sitting, uh, you know, those doors, uh, it's a solid door, but you look down and it's like, has these slats that Uh kind of like for air to get in. Yes. I remember sitting at that door on the, where I was and the other side was like where, you know, the entryway to the area, there was probably a desk of a lady who worked there or something. And I could see people's feet walking back and forth. And I kept hoping I was going to see my dad and my grandmother's feet. Mm. So that's the reason I never (laughs) intended to work in divorce, but I did always want to be a therapist and a healer. So that is what I became after being a high school teacher. I taught foreign languages and uh, just knew one day I'd know to go to graduate school, which I did. And then that's the story from there. And then I and I work with children and teenagers and adults. And of course, some of those clients over the years would end up going through divorce. And so eventually I did get to know some family law attorneys who basically were more focused on the family, even though they were still litigators and so forth. And uh, one day, one of them said to me, I'd read about collaborative divorce in um, the American, uh, what's it called? Uh, Family Court Review, the American Association of Family and Conciliation Courts. Uh, They were doing it in Seattle. And I thought, wow, what a great idea. But it hadn't made it to Southern California yet. We're a very litigious county. 
um, the county that I'm in in Southern California. So I kind of, I promptly forgot about it. It was several years before this attorney came to me and said, you would be perfect. You know, we want to try to start a collaborative divorce group, practice group, blah, blah. The rest is history, as they say. And so people like your sweet husband, uh, Tim, would encourage us to write blogs. This was in 0304, and I'm not even sure there were blogs in, but eventually we started writing blogs. And one of the blogs I wrote was about adult children of divorce, um, because some of them would come to me uh, and the parents would say, "Could I know you're a child specialist, but could you see <clears throat> our adult children? And so I started writing blogs about, you know, what I was learning just from the adult children. There was no research in those days. Long story, I'll end it now uh, quickly. There was a, in 2016, a reporter from the New York Times reached out to me because she found one of my blogs or several and uh, was writing a series about adult children of gray divorce. This was in 2016 and asked me if I'd be interviewed. I said, sure. And then after that article came out, a literary agent from New York reached out to me and said, there's nothing about this out there for people to read. There are no books. Would you be willing to write a book? When that comes to me, I call it a God shot. I figure that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And so that's that's how I got into this. We have a collaborative lawyer in our jurisdiction named Rhonda Cleves. And I often quote her because she says our work finds us. And yeah. I think that can really, really be true. Mm -hmm. One of the pieces of your story that really grips me is you looking out under that door. Because for children, and I worry about this with pets too, you know, when you leave them, children and animals have no concept of time. Yes. To them, that is forever. We have concepts of time as adults, but children don't. And those are things that we need to learn as parents to empathize. Put our My grandmother that you've heard of, she's famous in my life. Yes. One of the things she used to get so annoyed with people about is when children would be fussy and she'd say, you know, adults have have bad moods. Nobody gives children the right to just have a bad day. Exactly. Give them permission to just have a bad day. Mm -hmm. It was very intolerant of parents and people that didn't have the ability to empathize with children. So in our state group, Collaborative Divorce Texas, we had these pioneers and rock stars who created many of the resources that are available to members now on our website. And one of the ones that Honey Chef, Dr. Honey Chef, who's an MHP, mental health professional, and uh, Gay Cox, who is uh, now deceased, put together for us early on were tips for parents engaged in collaborative law. And it was great. It's still great. It's a summary in many ways of, of your work, but it wasn't enough, in my opinion, and I wanted them and asked them for a long time to expand on it, but everybody's limited on their time. And so when yours came out, when your book came out and your blogs and your Psychology Today articles came out, I was just a sponge about it because I knew how much we needed it, how much these families and adult children and children needed their parents to read this. So I was just thrilled when you put it together. It's a gift to all of us in the family law arena and all the parents and children that end up in the family law arena. 
So thank you for that. On a personal note, thank you for all your hard work. I have their handout, the tips for parents going through collaborative divorce, as a handout in my office in the waiting area. I will share that with Honey. I yeah. know she may already know that, but that that will please her greatly. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the specifics of your book. Where would you like us to begin? Um, the studies that are out there, the statistics, uh, the personal information from children that are adult children of divorce what would where would you like us to start I think it would be good to educate your listeners um, because I I attend a lot of networking kind of uh, events to educate people about this topic the adult children and the first and these are divorce professionals I'm talking to and I say do you know what gray divorce is and most of them say no and these are family lawyers, you know, family financial people, family mental health people that work in the divorce field. So number one, if they're that uneducated about it, I think maybe your listeners might be too. So I would just like to share just a tiny bit and cut me off if I get too loquacious here, <laughs> Camille. Uh, so in, um, I think it was around 2010, there were some researchers at Bowling Green State University. Uh, which is in Ohio, and they, they weren't therapists or psychologists. They were researching the U.S. census and sociological changes and things like that in the U.S. And they stumbled upon uh, this information, which is between 1990 and 2010 is where they started, um, which was a 20-year span, the uh, divorce rate for people 50 years and older in the U.S., had doubled. And I paused because that's huge. Yes. Um, while all the other divorce rates were going down in the U.S. And there are reasons for that that's outside what we'll talk about today. And those are the baby boomer generation group. Isn't baby it? boomers, yes. And and that was 2010. They've continued to study this population all the way up through 2015, now 2019, you know, because the census take a while to get out. Uh-huh. And it's still growing. <laughs> And the uh, 65 and older population, even in 2010, 2012, um, had, was more than doubling. It's stunning. Yes, that's the 65 and olders. And they're predicting with, through their analytics that by 2030, the divorce rate in this population will have tripled. So that will be our biggest divorce demographic. Yes, yes. While all the other divorce rates are falling. Uh, in the U.S. And and this is a phenomenon across the industrialized world. You know, the U.K., Japan, you know, Europe, Australia, New Zealand. So they kind of are following the U.S. or it's all happening at the same time, just synergetically. We don't know. Uh, and so they coined the term, these researchers, gray divorce revolution, because it seemed like a revolution. So it's slowly getting out there um, that you know, this is a population that is underserved. And uh, it's if we did a little bit of statistical research and uh, it's about 1.2 million people, the parents and the adult children every year, just in the U.S., who fall into this gray divorce population. That That's a big population. The parents yes. and the adult children is about 1.2 million every year. And just because the year ends or the divorce is over doesn't mean that the feelings 
experiences and all that they've been going through that are painful stop, right? It, it takes a number of years for healing to occur. Well, you remember the book, The Good Divorce, was groundbreaking uh, by one of your fellow Californians. Wasn't that written by Constance Aaron? Yes. Uh-huh. yes. And it was so rare back in that day for people to get along. Now, she didn't. She and her husband didn't get along immediately after the divorce, but eventually they became close again towards right. the end of his life, I think. Right. And I have actually heard people say, well, if you get along that well, why did you embarrass the, your family and get a divorce? Which is so archaic to me. But um, but I do hear people that come to my office with that are that are great clients that uh, that have a great deal of shame, think they're unique, um, that they are going against what tradition and acceptable behavior is. And yet they say, if we're going to live to be 90, I want more out of life than what this relationship is giving me. So I think those are the folks that are that are getting to that conclusion. Yes, because longevity is, you know, longer <laughs> these days. Uh, the, the term till death do us part uh, didn't come about until, well, let me say it this way. Uh, when that term came about, people today are living on average 20 years longer than when that term came about decades ago. And so ju- it underscores just what you're saying, the happiness focus um, because people have drifted apart, whatever, empty nest, um, you know, abusive relationships, you know, whatever it is, uh, they are deciding to leave. And and the statistics on the, the research on the U.S. population is that uh, I think it was like 2004, don't quote me on the date, uh, 40-something percent of the U.S. population thought divorce was morally okay. And by 2016, I think it was, it was up to 69%. Of wow, what a shift. Thinks and, it's okay. And so. so what I hope we can do somehow societally is not, I mean, no one that comes through my door is salivating to get a divorce. They mm-hmm. have usually spent years anguishing over the decision. Mm-hmm. And they're not bad people like they've talked themselves into being. Um, they are good people faced with a, a very sad and uh, anguishing dilemma. And once they make that decision, I think that if we can, through help like your book provides, normalize this to the point that we can move on to a different type of relationship and still be a family, then that will be a success for us societally. And so can you tell us how there are some ways to do that? What is it you have heard from these adult, adult children? What can we do to help them? That's a really good question, especially with the holidays coming up. Um, so I've worked with minor children too my whole whole career. And, you know, minor children will say, I say, well, what's the one thing your mom and dad could do now, now that they're separated or going through this divorce that make your life better? And almost 100% of kids say, get along. Wow. Just want them to get along. Mm -hmm. Um, Just stop fighting. You know, why can't they just get along? I love both of them. We love both of them. And shocker, the adult children say the same thing. Mm. In general, the absolute majority. They take a little longer to answer that question because they have more life experience. So they think about it. But mainly they say, 
I just want them to get along. Uh, there's a high school graduation coming up. You know, they're going to be 18. That's technically an adult uh, or a college graduation. And and they're arguing over, you know, I'm not going to go if your other parent goes. Because mm-hmm. he or she's been so mean to me or, you know, had an affair or financially did some bad thing, whatever. You know, that that isn't the adult children's job to carry that burden. So that would be the number one thing is there was a book out that I've never read. I just love the title. Love your children more than you hate your ex-spouse. That's beautiful. Yeah. And it's one of the things you talk about that really resonated with me was how the adult children often become the confidant and counselor of their parents. And the children say, sometimes we don't have we're not we're not old enough to be this wise sage. We don't want to be put in this position. And and then they get alienated from one or both parents because they're put in that position. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yes, that is a very alienating position to be put in. I agree. Uh, now, some adult children want to help, you know, their parents like, well, they they raised me. They helped me. So I should help them. Yes and no. You know, they're not professionals, most of these adult children. And that's one of the things I tell the adult children to say to their parents if they're trying to use them as a confidant or get them to align with them against the other parent is I love both of you. I want a relationship with both of you. I want that to continue the relationship I have. I'm not a professional. I don't know what to say and how to help you because that's true. Right. And uh, loyalty issues come up and all that, but they don't need to get into that. So that's one of the things that the adult children can say. And then the parents need to listen, 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 I'll say again, um, because that's one of our problems is in as human beings, we're not usually listening. We're hearing to defend or accuse or try to persuade. That's the point. The parents need to listen. One of the biggest losses in divorce for minor and adult children, we're talking about adult children, is they lose their extended family connections, their community connections. You know, one parent stays at the church. The other one doesn't feel comfortable anymore going to the same church. You know, grandmother and grandfather line up against the other parent, the aunts and uncles. Then they lose their cousin connections. All of that. And with the holidays coming up, how are people going to navigate that? That really needs to be talked about. Do you think it would be possible for the adult child to, and I'm going to use air quotes around the word, drag both their parents to counseling as a family? Yes. Yes. And here's a a positive and a sad statistic I found in the research that over half of the adult children in this research group uh, had extremely negative, painful feelings and experiences during and after their parents' divorce, so much so that they became estranged from their parents. Okay, that's that's the sad part. The positive part is that within five to 10 years, which is still a long time in this group that they researched, uh, the, the adult children reached out to their parents to go to counseling with them. Oh, wow. That's positive. And they did reconcile. Uh, What's sad, though, is it wasn't the parents reaching out. 
because yes. it was the parents' divorce. And there's another example of the children of the marriage who are adult children bearing the burden. And I think mainly it's because parents don't know what to do. They yes. don't know that they could say, you know, we're going to try really hard to be our highest, best selves as parents, even though our spousal relationship is dying or died. Uh, because, and so we want to go to counseling and have some professional help us sort all this out. Because if people don't do something like that, I'm, I'm biased, of course, since I'm a therapist, but the, the pain and anger and all the negative feelings from the marriage bleed into what we call the co-parenting relationship. Because like it or not, these parents of gray divorce are still co-parents and they will be for the rest of their lives. And their children will always be their children, even though they're adults. And the best time to do that family therapy, I would think, is in the midst of the divorce. Yes. Yes. Which I know feels like a lot, maybe trying to like drink water out of a fire hose. But it's like, that's the pain that that's the you know, that's the triage that needs to happen. It's like having a broken leg or appendicitis. You know, divorce is the second highest stressful life event humans go through, second only to the death of a loved one. So this is emergency room time. And that's what therapy can be, is like an emergency room for the um, the mental health of the family members. I'm going to switch just for a minute and we'll go back to the main part of the book. But this is an area that I think you have worked in. And here in the Texas group, we have people that are now beginning to work in this area. And that is in the collaborative divorce process. There is a trained mental health professional who serves as the communication coach for the, the parties or parents but often now a child specialist like you is brought in to facilitate exactly what you're talking about, which is let's take care of everybody in the family. Let's not do this in increments. Let's do this more holistically. You have done some of that work, haven't you? Yes. And in fact, I have, uh, and I train other, other professionals about this too. I have a mobile in my office, a real mobile that like hangs over a child's crib. And I hold it up and I say, this is your family. All these animals on this mobile are your family members. And when a divorce happens, the mobile tilts, you know, like 45 degrees. Mm -hmm. And parents are getting some help with collaborative lawyers like you. Uh, but what's happening with the adult children and the minor children? But we're talking about adults today. And, and when you bring in a child specialist, adult child specialists who can facilitate these conversations with the parents and the adult children, the mobile can get balanced again because the adult children's needs are being met as well. And they might need their own therapist, you know, outside of a child specialist, but it's a good place to start is with the child specialist. And just the name child specialist sort of has a connotation of an under 18 year old child, but that's not right at all. Right. We say, a minor child specialist and adult child specialist because they're all children of the marriage. Some and of the anecdotes in your uh, in your book talk about um, repercussions that there were, there were two in particular, a 20 year old girl who was an only child and dealing with her parents' divorce. And then a 42 year old father mm -hmm. whose wife, I think was the one that brought him to, yes. into the, into the counseling because 
he was even at 42 having a lot of repercussions from from what he was experiencing with his parents. Could you explain those examples? Yes. In fact, the 20-year-old that you're talking about, names were changed, of course, in the book, uh, kept saying, home will never be the same again. Mm. <laughs> and my literary agent came up with that title. That's the title for the book. That's where that came from. And uh, yeah, she was an only child, which is even more difficult because she had no siblings to help. You know, a lot of times the siblings can be very helpful. And we have a chapter in the book about how the siblings can help each other and how they can not help each other because sometimes they line up in different camps of mom and dad. Um, and yeah, she was devastated. She was in college and didn't know. And uh, the mother kept relying on her. Dad had an affair. You know, mom did all the things that are not helpful, saying he left us. Um, and and she, it, she was in shock, the shock and grief. And uh, she would say things like, my family's dead. I don't have a family anymore. They were very close, the three of them. Um, and it took her a long time to get through this. And her parents, to their credit, did go work with a therapist uh, that helped. Um, because they didn't know, they didn't know what they didn't know, right? right? She felt completely abandoned. And and really, she was emotionally, financially, they were able to keep helping her. Uh, but she got a job in college because she felt guilty because they were going through a divorce. I mean, these are all things that the adult children have to deal with. One of the things that I see is that the parents are often in such pain themselves. Yeah. They're not intentionally neglecting their children. But they're more likely to neglect their children if they're over 18, just because they feel like, well, all I can do is take care of myself right now. I don't have any bandwidth left to take care of anybody else. But that's when you need to bring in someone to help, I would think, of all times. And the other thing that I see from people is they show up in my office and they say, we want a divorce not like our parents. Yes. That's very true. That That's the good news. Uh, and that is partly, you know, what's been fueling, I think, the collaborative divorce process because it is family focused. And uh, people, these some of these parents who are now divorcing lived through their parents' divorce because 70s and 80s in the U.S. is when the divorce boom started occurring. And some of their parents were divorced two or three times. Yes. Uh, and we know that that statistically increases the uh, incidence of divorce if people have been divorced more than one time. How do I know I'm going to be able to sustain a marriage? And this is a very common experience of the adult children at 20 or 42 or 60. Um, is if my parents couldn't keep it together, they were my role models for what yes. a healthy marriage is. How do I know this isn't like a genetic thing? And yes. start becoming very depressed. He was depressed. He was drinking too much, uh, um, irritable at home, irritable with the kids. Um, and uh, one of the parents was leaning too much on him and he didn't know how to you know, set boundaries. And he didn't want uh, the, the their own children, the grandchildren to see the parent that had been uh, very inappropriate in the marriage. And it was calling, causing major family crisis. And he and his wife didn't know how to handle it. And then there were uh, two sisters who were lined up on the other side, uh, trying oh. to 
be supportive of the other parent. And there were battle lines drawn. It was just horrible in this family. It's one of the worst examples. But uh, And he had no idea when he first came in to see me that this was what was going on with him. He thought he was like in a midlife crisis or something. Well, it could send him into a midlife crisis. I can see that. Yes. So since we are, and I hope, Carol, that you will allow me to talk with you again. I know today we have kind of limited time, um, but... Can you give us some some tips about ways to handle the holidays? I wanted this to to play just before Thanksgiving and Christmas because I know that's when families, particularly adult children and their parents, are yearning for some suggestions about how do we handle the holidays this year? How can we make it not as bad as it might be? Right. Well, I'm glad you're asking that, uh, Camille, because this is the question that needs to be dealt with. You know, part of in therapy, we deal with reality. And sometimes it might be too soon. I mean, this is a family that's restructuring. They're in a, a transition period, right? And so sometimes if we think about like going from, you know, Dallas to California, um, that's a long trip. Right. And divorce usually doesn't happen in one in six months or a year. It's a big transition. And the emotional part of the divorce, even if the legal part's over, is not over. There's a lot of research about that, that the emotional part of the divorce continues for numbers of years later for all family members. So we need to deal with the reality that wherever they are in their divorce process, this may be a year at Thanksgiving and maybe Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever, Kwanzaa, whatever your holidays are, that they have, they need to manage their expectations that this may not be a Thanksgiving or December holiday celebration that's been like previous ones. Maybe everybody needs to take a pause because if they can't be amicable in the same room, which is very difficult, you know, during this, with all these negative emotions that a lot of people are feeling, parents do, you know, to give each other permission to have maybe solo celebrations mm-hmm. where the adult children, if they're in college, they don't come home. They go with a friend. A lot of adult children do that. They're like, I'm not coming back because yeah. I can't deal with this. And that that's okay. It doesn't mean they're abandoning the family forever. Or the uh, parents who are going through divorce talk to their extended family and say, you know, we just think it's going to be too much. It's like I say, it's like trying to drink water out of the fire hose. We we can't manage all of this this year. And we, you know, kindly ask you to honor that. And we're just going to figure out what is manageable. Sometimes our clients give us the best advice. I had a collaborative case several years ago, and they came up with the idea of writing a letter to their family, extended family and friends, not unlike a a holiday letter that you get that's all cheery and bright. And what they said was, we are going through this this year. We are asking you to respect our, our time and let us go through this in our own way. And this year, we're not going to have the family celebration, but we ask you to respect that and to not 
take sides. We don't want you to take sides. We want to continue the relationship. Our children and each of us continue the relationship with our extended family and friends and not disparage either side. Don't feel like you need to take sides. Just support us and we will restore the relationship and the visits with you as soon as we are able. And I thought that was beautiful. And I've suggested that to many clients going forward. Excellent. Excellent. And kind of the flip side of that is, I'll say quickly, is, you know, talking about reality, if they decide to go ahead with family gatherings they've always done, is name it. You know, there's a saying in neuroscience research about how the brain's wired, naming it tames it. And I won't go into what, but but it, if we say, we realize there could be some tension you know, not everybody is supportive of what we're doing or whatever, blah, blah, blah. We ask that everybody just do their best to let to pause everything that they're feeling, leave it at the front door kind of thing. And let's just act as if we can all be amicable and so forth. And that works sometimes, too. That's a much more difficult thing to do than what your clients came up with, Camille. But some people are able to do it. I love your, and and we'll, for today, sadly, I'd love to talk for hours more and hopefully you will have some more time we can visit, but I love what you said about managing expectations. I think that is the key pivot point Mm -hmm. is we need to help people manage their expectations for this year and for the relationships and give each other patience and give themselves patience, be patient with themselves to work through all this. Carol, thank you so much for sharing some of your morning with us. Your book is called Home Will Never Be the Same Again, A Guide for Adult Children of Gray Divorce by Carol Hughes and Bruce Friedenberg. Thank you so much. And I look forward to hopefully resuming this conversation very soon because we have so much more to cover to help families that are going through this divorce. Yes, I would love to, Camille. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you.